Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Hey, I'm Mark Pugh. I'm pastor of uh, outreach and operations here at the Vine, and uh, really encouraged and glad to be here to be able to share with you guys a little bit from God's Word today. You know, we're in a, uh, a teaching series. It's called uh, Just People Like You and Me. <clears throat> and today, we're going to be talking about what I think some really interesting uh, passages on Elijah from 1 Kings 17 and 18. And when I think about Elijah, I'll be honest with you, I don't really go, you know, I think you and me, we're a lot like Elijah. Like Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of all. And yet we see in the book of James... In chapter 5, we'll show that on the screen. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings. But, but before we do that, in the New Testament, Jesus' brother James, he says this in chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So James says we're a lot like Elijah. So how are we a lot like Elijah? And uh, I think, well, have you ever been around anybody and you thought, man, they are a mess. Like they are broken. Or maybe you're uh, hanging out with your family, extended family, and you see that they've just got a different value set than you do. They're living a different value set out. And it's kind of difficult. It's a little bit infuriating. It makes the holidays not so easy. Maybe we've prayed for these people in our lives. These people that were really dear to us, they're close to us. We've, we've prayed that they would know Christ's overwhelming love for their lives, that they would know Jesus, that they would sense real purpose and real joy in their life. Maybe we've prayed for them to repent, to, to repent that, that God would change their heart and turn them back towards him. To, to want to obey his commands, or maybe we've prayed for their salvation, that God would reveal himself to them and, and that they would see his steadfast love is for him over and over and over and over again. And he would keep their souls with them eternally. If you guys have done any of that, you've had any experience in that, then you're a lot more like Elijah than you probably think. Today, we're going to say that Elijah like Elijah, that we pray for God to save his people, like Elijah. So there's several passages we're going to look at today, but I want to start with 1 Kings 17. If you guys would open up your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings 17 and then later in 18. And we're going to start with uh, 1 Kings 17 verses 1 through 7. So let's do that now. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before who I'm standing, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my words, by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, 
that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So our first point today is like Elijah, we live amongst an idolatrous people. And to really see that, to really understand that, we got to get a little context here. So if we show verse 1, and we look at verse 1, we see Elijah, he's talking to this guy named Ahab. So who's Ahab? Well, Ahab, he's in 1 Kings a lot. He's in 1 Kings 6 chapters, which is a whole lot for an evil king. He reigned about 22 years. He reigned from like 870 to 850. is about 100 years before the Assyrians come in and conquer the northern kingdom in, in Israel. And then about 300 years before the Babylonians come in and conquer the southern kingdom in Judah. There was a bunch of bad kings, evil kings before him, including his daddy, whose name was Omri. Okay, I've summarized a little bit in uh, chapter 16, right before our verse. 16 verses 30 to 33, I want to read those. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So Ahab, he was a pretty special guy. You know, I kind of find it interesting that, that Elijah, this great man of God, that he's got to deal with Ahab. Can you imagine how annoying that must have been to, to Elijah? And we probably have people like that in our lives, right? Different value set. They're just annoying. We, we might be that person to somebody else. And, and the reason why that might be is we're both a saint and a sinner right now. We're a saint because of Christ's righteousness given to us. As we have faith in Jesus, he gives us his righteousness, takes away our sin, and God looks at us and sees Jesus. And so we're saying we're brought in to this covenant family together that we're all called saints that have belief in Christ. And we're a sinner right now. The Bible makes that really clear. Romans and 1 John, we're a sinner because a lot of times we don't really want to obey God's law. We don't obey. We, we probably don't have a desire to think about what he might want for us today. So we're a saint and a sinner. And God puts Elijah in this community of these people that don't worship Christ right now. They've gone astray. And now Elijah, and that's kind of like us, by the way, Elijah has got to go to the king, though. He's going to go tell the king, hey, there's going to be a drought for a while because our people are worshiping Baal and idols. Now, Baal, he's the god of the rain clouds and the protector of crops. But we saw from James that Elijah, he's, he's praying for years, for three and a half years, there's not going to be any rain. So this God, Baal, he, he's not bringing the rain. He can't bring it himself. And, uh, you know, the reality is Elijah was around a lot of people that would rather worship these idols than worship God. They were powerless to save. And if you think about what we worship, a lot of times we're worshiping our phones or our money or our jobs Maybe I, I'm like really love to have a great experience, like a memorable experience. These things are really important. Dedicate a lot of thought, maybe resources to it, but they don't save. They're just like Bell. You know, I also found it interesting that 
that Elijah's name, it means the Lord is my God. Elijah is God's representative, just like us. If we're a follower of Christ, we are God's representative in a very unfaithful land. So we all work around, we all live around, we have family that are idolatrous. Their hearts are astray. What, what, what does that even mean, right? This word idolatrous and their hearts are astray. It means that, that in their heart, they're desiring something besides Christ. It's not Christ alone that they're putting their hope and their happiness in. That, that in their self-absorption, they're getting their approval over something else or comfort or security. It is not just Jesus. And this is what causes us to sin. It's our heart that is the problem. We get wound up over our sin, and we should. But we sometimes forget about why. Why is that happening? That's our heart problem. You know, I used to work at a uh, marketing firm called Brown Bag Marketing. I was there for a long time, over 10 years, and uh, <laughs> it was a really entertaining place to work, marketing company. Um, and, and the employees, they said a lot of funny, funny things. And uh, a lot of times, those funny things they said, they weren't appropriate. And yet I laughed, right? Sometimes I laughed because it was just really funny and I couldn't help it. But then there were other times where I laughed and I'm like, I think I'm caving here. I just wanted to be included. I didn't want to be judged. I didn't want to be that outsider. I, that was more important to me, man's approval, than to be a great image bearer for Jesus. It's a shame. It's, it's, a, it's a struggle, right, when we do that. But that's not for everybody, right? Not everybody in here needs approval. But we need something. A lot of people need comfort. Here in Forsyth County, we, we got a lot of nice homes. We got a lot of nice cars. We kind of expect to be comfortable. But I think it's, even, it's beyond that. It's maybe we don't want to deal with conflict. Maybe we don't want to parent through a difficult situation because we, we kind of want our kids' approval. And it's just... It's just awkward. It's uncomfortable. I don't like that. It's Jesus plus something is what we need. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I love Jesus. But my life is just a little bit better when Tennessee wins. <laughs> they win in football. They lost basketball last night. So it's not, Jesus is he's good, but he's just not quite enough to fully satisfy me. And, and it's a shame because it causes us to worship other stuff, and this other stuff robs our joy. So Elijah, like us, he's, he's living with a bunch of people that cared about other stuff, worshiping idols and not obeying God's law. And this really brings us to our second point. Elijah, uh, like us, we pray for ourselves and those around us to see the need for Christ and to repent. So in verse 2 and 3 from Kings 17, God sends Elijah away. He leaves his people isolated from his word and his blessing. Elijah is, is God's messenger to the people. It's how they know God. Well, that's what we're to do. We're God's messenger for the community around us. This is how people know God is through us. And, and, and when Elijah got sent away, that would have really intensified the judgment that God had on his people. And I think that's kind of like us. When we isolate, God's people isolate the people around us. They're not going to know God. 
So let's look at verse 4 to, to 6, 4 to 7. And uh, this is an interesting passage. It, it talks about the ravens feeding them, right? I think that's a pretty crazy story. Um, but I want to just take a, a, a practical thought here. Was the food they were getting any good? I mean, ravens are feeding. I know Burkhalter loves meat, but come on. The ravens giving you bread and meat is probably not that yummy, right? It's not compared to like the, remember the crackers we used to eat and the Hawaiian bread that we had for communion? I bet that was a lot better than what the ravens were bringing. But the ravens' meat and bread might have been better than the communion wafers we're eating today. It was like cardboard. But we got to celebrate God's provision. You know, he, he provides. So Israel's going hungry. And God's providing for Elijah. Like Elijah, we're fed today. We're, we're fed through our faith. We're fed through God's word. Versus the people around us that don't know Jesus, they're spiritually starving without Christ. Like us, Elijah was not dependent upon those people around us. He was dependent upon God. And we see just a little bit of this in, in uh, 1 Kings 17, verse 1. It says, There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. It's God who provides. So let's look at um, James again. The passage we started with, James 5, 17, 18 um, and in and, and, and here he says, Elijah prays for no rain for over three years. And he, he prayed fervently. That's a key word. He, he prayed fervently for, for years for it to not rain. Why would he do that? He's praying for something that's going to cause him harm. We see that in verse 7, right? Verse 7, the drought happens. The brook that God gave him to take care of him runs dry. And Elijah's praying for this drought. That's, why is he doing that? I think we said, well, he was being obedient to God. Yes, I think that's true. But I think he also had just a deep desire to see his people repent. He was desperate for them to repent. And God wanted Elijah to pray because God will do anything. For his people to call them back to him, to, to change their desires to him. God was using the drought to do that. He will use any means to bring and fulfill his covenant family. So when we see people around us that maybe are going wayward or they're struggling, our kids are struggling, you know, what's our prayer? Is it, hey, Lord, do whatever you got to do to bring my family or these people that are really close to me, to bring them back to me? The means doesn't matter. I trust you, Lord. Or is it uh, bring them out of their struggle? Do something that will not make them suffer. See, even our prayer of how we would ask God to care for our kids can really reveal an idolatrous heart in ourselves. And then in, in James 5, uh, 19 and 20, we see something also I think is pretty uh, fascinating. This is the two passages right afterwards. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover it in a multitude of sins. So again, New Testament, James, Jesus' brothers, 
He's, I think, referring to Elijah's people here. People wandering from the truth. They were worshiping Baal and other idols, just like people around us wander from the truth. And James is saying, repent and help others around you to repent. Because this is a blessing. You know, the call to repent, it's all over the Bible. Uh, One beautiful place is in Isaiah 6. If we look at Isaiah 6, um, 3, verse 3, it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and and the foundations of the threshold shook at, at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, when Isaiah, when he he gets to be in the presence of the Lord, he sees the Lord, he can't help but to see his own sin. He sees how he's not clean. He's nowhere near holy like God is. This is a different view of the Lord that I think we have, a lot of us. I don't don't go there that often in how I view the Lord, how holy and beautiful and great He is compared to me. And this affects what we believe. This affects us in how we might worship other things because we don't have a very big view of God. So we saw the impact of, of people repenting also in the book of Jonah. So in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, he's off with the Ninevites. He really doesn't want to be there. He's asked them to repent, and then they do. Here's what happens. It says that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So the question this morning, for all of us to stop and just kind of ponder, is like, are are we really desperate? Are we desperate? to see God work in people's lives, that we would pray for them. Two days ago, I, uh, I think it was two days ago, Friday, I go to the doctor. I got, my, I got some annual work that I need to get looked at. And uh, um, so I go in there and the nurse that takes me back all the time, I've been there for a long time, she takes me down the hallway, the normal run to the scale. I'm like, oh man, I'm wearing boots, I'm wearing jeans, I've got a heavy sweatshirt, I get on the scale, and I'm like, I'm going to weigh more normal. And I'm over 200, and I'm like, well, that's good for football playing, but not so good where I want to be right now. Off to not a great start. Go down the hall. Pass the scales into our normal room. We do our normal conversation. Doctor's in there. I'm good. All my numbers are good. It's great. And then at the end, my doctor's voice, his tone, his demeanor, everything kind of changed. And he says, uh, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this, and uh, I think it's time for me to retire. I'm like, wow, okay. You know, we joked about that for a second. And he's, he's like, y'all have been so good to me, Rhonda, and, and you have been great patients. And uh, it's just been an honor to serve you. And I'm like, this is weird. I'm like really sad that I'm missing my doctor here. But I realized through our conversation, I've been to the same doctor for 25 plus years. 25 plus years. So I'm probably never going to see him again. So I leave. I'm driving home. I get a mile up the road and it hits me. I've never prayed for this guy. 
I don't know that I've ever cared about a soul. I've cared about him. He's a super gracious guy, kind guy, trusted him. I mean, love him to death as my doctor. But in 25 years, I never cared enough to think about his soul. So today, are we, are we feeling this despair for those around us to call us to pray for them, to want to worship Jesus? Do we do that? Do we want to do that? Even if it causes our stream to dry up, for us to have a drought, to have difficulties, would we, would we do that? See, repenting helps us realize that we submit to Christ's lordship. That it's only Jesus that can satisfy. Okay, so before we go into our next passage, I got to catch up speed. So we're, at the, we're in chapter 17, and we're moving in to the end of chapter 18. That's going to be our next verse, 41 to 46. But so the end of chapter 17, we got to ask what happened, right? So there's a drought came on. Elijah's been praying for it. The brooks dried up. So what happens to Elijah? Well, God provides. He provides for him by a widow and a son. And so then uh, he says, hey, you got to go meet up with King Ahab. So in chapter 18, we see that happening. King Ahab, he's out looking for healthy grass and some water. And, uh, and then Elijah meets up with him and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Ahab, you got to go get all your prophets. It's like 450 from Baal, worshiping Baal, 400 from Asherah. You go grab them. We're going to meet up at Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a little, little game, a little competition. And I'm going to try to shorten this. Uh, basically, they're praying to, that their God would start a fire and sacrifice, consume this sacrifice. Elijah's going to do the same thing with our God. Their God fails. Our God starts this sacrifice. Burns it up. It's amazing. Miracle. The people are like stunned. And then Elijah says, hey, you know, we got to go round all these guys up and go kill them. 850 prophets, because, not because he was mad and he wanted revenge, but because they were false prophets. And that was taken really seriously. Back in the Old Testament, when you prophesied something that wasn't true, you were a false prophet and you were killed. So this is a, it's a kind of a, a crazy scene that's going on here. And this event on Mount Carmel, though, causes God's people to repent. This is what Elijah was praying for. This is what God was demanding would happen. His sovereign plan. It was God's sovereign plan to show them their sin. And it took this miraculous way to do it for them to have a desire to repent. <clears throat> so now they're released from the drought. And this brings us to our final point, which is like Elijah, we pray for God to save his people. And we look at, at, at chapter 18, 1 Kings 18, 41 to 46. Let's go through that. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of, rushing, of, of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now. Look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, well, we'll go again. Seven times. Keep doing it. 
And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down, lest the rain's going to stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So we see in this 41 to 46, Elijah's telling, him to go, telling Ahab to go up and eat and drink because he, he knows the rain's coming. He knows it. But yet, he's praying fervently. He's praying fervently with his head between his knees. Already what's been told to him with passion. This is not a five-minute prayer we're talking about. He tells his servant, go check for rain seven times. Did he do that because he just didn't know if God was really going to do it? Or did he do that because he was really impatient? Like, hey, go check now. Go check now. Like, I, I, could, I could see me doing that. Yeah, we've already seen from James that Elijah is just like you and me. It wasn't Elijah's prayers that saved the people. We need to know that. It was God. But still, Elijah prayed fervently. He prayed fervently for his people, that God would save his people. And we ought to do the same. We ought to be doing the same thing, that we would pray fervently that, that, that God would reveal himself to the people around us, that he would show his steadfast love to them, that they would have faith and be saved. Again, our prayers don't save people. Our prayers don't change circumstances. God does, does that. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe God is who the Bible says he is? Our belief in that really impacts our prayers. It impacts the way we pray. And this, this message is not really about the drought and, and dealing with circumstantial people's circumstances. This is about saving souls. The miracle is that God would reach out and save someone and bring them into his covenant family. So again, it's God who empowers us. It's God who provides for us. It's not our efforts. And we, and we even see just a little example of this in verse 46. At the very end of this, uh, it's an interesting little verse. It says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Ahab's in this chariot. They got an over 20-mile journey to Jezreel, and God is having Elijah run in front of the chariot the whole way. God provides. So these passages and this this whole story, um, it brings back a memory for me to my uh, brother-in-law, Roger, Rhonda's brother. And uh, Roger was awesome. Everybody loved Raj. Um, but we lost Raj in 2014. We lost him to cancer. He's 49 years old. It was awful. I can remember going and visiting him the, when we first found this out, and uh, he took me over to his pickup truck. We were sitting in the back of the pickup truck. He, he, he had health left. He had hope left. He was entertaining, and, and I was probably talking to him about his faith because I remember him saying, well, my mama, his mom had already passed. My mama's going to get me into heaven through the back door. It was kind of his joke, regular joke. And uh, so we were desperate, and we were praying for him. We were praying that God would do a work that we, we couldn't do. And we went home back to Atlanta and they were in Florida and 
A little while later, we go back down to visit him again, and, and, uh, and this time Roger was different. This time he was repentant. See, Roger's health had really declined, and he knew he was dying. And it was, it was hard. I remember having a chance to talk to him again. His, his wife had, had set him and I up to talk in the house, and I'm talking to him, and I said, Jesus loves you and, and wants to forgive you. Do you want that? And he's like, I can't imagine why Jesus would forgive me. I've never lived a day for him. So Roger was repentant. He knew he was, it was bothering him, but he, he wasn't ready to be saved. And at that very moment, I remember real clearly just this weird feeling in the house. Like I, it was just him and I in the room, and I kept looking over to the right like somebody's there, and it just didn't feel good. It was eerie. It felt kind of evil. And it was, I'm not super discerning in this, but I felt like a, this is like a, felt like a spiritual battle going on. And so um, right at that moment, Roger's wife opens up the door. This is all in like 10 seconds. He, he, she opens up the door and brings in a visitor, and the moment's gone. So we leave. We go back over to our dad's house. I'm heartbroken. Um, so, uh, so we're praying. We're desperate that night. And it's this Saturday. We're going back over there on Sunday uh, to visit again. And we know we got to leave Sunday afternoon. And so we, we go in in the morning, kind of excited about it. We've been praying. And, and in the house we go and everybody's there. And it's like, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not kind of, I'm really sad. Because I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get a chance to talk to Roger one more time. I'm not going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him. Because everybody's here, and it's a beautiful moment that everybody's visiting. But that's what's going on in my head. So I go up in the back bedroom to go visit with his wife and kind of check on her. And we're back there for just a couple minutes. All of a sudden, here comes Roger. He's walking down the hallway. He opens up the door to the bedroom, and he says, hey, did you call me? And he's talking to, to his wife. And his wife looks at him like, you're confused. No, I didn't call you. Do you need to go to the bathroom? Do you need to lay down? You can tell they don't understand what's going on. She takes him, literally pulls him about three feet over, sets him in the chair right in front of me at the desk, walks out, grabs the door handle, shuts the door. She's shutting the door. She says, why don't you two chat? I needed that laugh. Um, I was stunned. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I shared the gospel with Roger, and Roger accepts Christ right then. Amazing story, but here's what's crazier about this story. It's my wife Rhonda's perspective of the story because she's in the great room. She's in the great room chatting with the family, talking to Roger, and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, Roger stands up, walks down the hallway. She's getting nervous. She tells her older brother, you gotta go follow him because he's gonna fall. He can't walk. He goes down the hallway, and they have no idea that God is calling Roger into his family. Like Elijah, we got to pray for God to save his people. Who are we praying for? Who are we desperate to pray for? Let's pray. Lord, we, we do love you. We trust you. We want to trust you. Lord, but it's hard. It's hard to not get distracted with all the things that are of this world. And so, Father, um, we need your help. 
We know it's you that changes hearts. It's you that causes people to repent. It's you that saves people, but yet you use us. And so, Lord, help us. Father, as we come together today to to take this meal and and celebrate with you and and with each other this this beautiful moment, help us to to desire to be renewed in in our walk, in our spiritual journey with you right now. Renew our spirits. Draw us into you, Lord, right now. It's in your wonderful son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.